All right, well, good morning, everyone. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4. Would you turn there, please? Ephesians chapter 4. We'll start again at verse 17. Let's pray together, shall we? <clears throat> Father, we thank you for another time to be together. And God, we thank you for your word. It helps us make sense of things and it tells us more about you and our, our plight and your remedy and God, with a topic that's uh, not the, I'd say it's not the quote-unquote funnest topic, but it's necessary. And it does a beautiful thing when we, when we look at it in the context of grace and salvation and the gospel. So God, I pray that you would do a great work. Keep praying, God, that you would do something you've never done before that just leaves us amazed. So God, thank you that you want to meet with us no matter where we are in this journey of life with you, God, would you please do a great work? We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Starting here in verse 17, again, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And that, it's that phrase, no longer walk. So he's really, remember, he's speaking to a bunch of Christians. I mean, this, this is why it's a, it's a letter to Christians that lived in Ephesus. He says, you must no longer walk in the futility of your mind. In other words, followers of Jesus, there should be a difference in the way that we live. We should look different. I think last night I might have made mention of uh, this idea of following Jesus. And I use this example all the time, but did you ever play follow the leader when you were younger? Did you ever have that? I know back in the day <laughs> when we'd have so we, don't have, we didn't have an app for it, but it's like we just played this game, follow. Has anybody ever done it? Do I need to explain the rule? There's only really one rule follow the leader like if you can't figure, can't figure that out uh, <laughs> there's still hope but it's it's, it's dwindling but <laughs> it's like there's really one rule follow the leader so we'd get um, I went to a little Christian school and um, sa we'd said hey let's play follow the leader and the same person was all the leader I'm the leader well, of course you are you're always the leader and but we always had these two um, older women who were kind of like the prison guards for the playground uh, one was nice her name was Ellen and then there was Margie she was not a happy woman. Like, I just kind of pictured her like going home and hating children from a distance. Like, I just never thought that she liked us. And so we always had to watch her, um, make sure that she wasn't around. Because Alan didn't really care. Because you, you, you had to do, like, the slide this, the, the right way. You had to go up the ladder. But we wanted to pretend like we're Navy SEALs. And so we'd go up the wrong way. But we'd always have to wait for Margie to go around the corner. So we'd watch. And as she starts walking, and you could just see hatred flowing off of her. And then she goes around the corner. And all of a sudden, we're like, go, and we start going up the wrong way of the slide. And we just think that we're a bunch of rebels. Guys, that's why we were so weird. But it's like, we just, look what we did. But you had to follow the leader. And so can you imagine one day, same in fourth grade, and uh, we say, hey, we're playing follow the leader, and they get ready to go, and they start moving, and I just sit down. And so I'm saying, are you playing? I was like, yeah, I'm playing. I'm playing in my mind. I'm undefeated in my mind. 
Like anything you do, I do better in my mind. And you say, well, that's, you, you're not really playing. You have, you have to get up and follow the leader. No, no, no. This is how I play the game. You say, well, who would really do that? And I guess my question is, who would really say I'm a follower of Jesus if you don't really get up and follow? Do you see the problem with that? It's like, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm just not practicing. That's like me saying, well, I'm married. I'm just not practicing. Like we think it's just this, like this task list. You do these things and don't do these things and that's it. But it's not. It's a surrendered life to Jesus where I say, I want to follow you. We accept the invitation from Jesus to become a follower of Christ. Where we say, I want to deny everything else. I want to pick up my cross. Guys, when you start thinking picking up a cross, how many of you guys, and whether you have it now or not, but maybe you have a, a, like a charm of a, of a cross. Anybody, anybody wear that on your necklace? You have that? Does anybody have a, a charm of like an electric chair? No? It's like, oh, my, someone raised their hand. Okay, we want to talk later. <laughs> it's like, <okay. laughs> but it's like, I don't see a whole lot of jewelers putting those things together. It's like, guys, this is what will say that you love your love. Just give them the charm of the electric chair. Like, it doesn't make any sense. But it would be the, ex- it's the exact same thing for the first century because no one in the first century looked at a cross and went, that's the love of God. Guys, that was the most excruciating way to die. And so when Jesus is saying, he's like, I want you to deny yourself. You don't bear hug anything. You give up everything. And I want you to pick up your death. And I want you to follow me. Guys, that's a big call, and it comes back to that question again. Is he worth it? And so when you come back to this verse, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. Friends, there should be a difference if you call yourself a follower of Jesus. But then we need to be reminded of what we are like if you are a follower of Christ, what it was like before. goes on in verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. Guys, that word for hardness is callousness. Who's broken a bone before and they had to set it? That setting part just makes you want to cringe, okay? But you, do you realize that when your body heals, that part where it broke, that becomes harder than the bone. I mean, the way that God has designed our bodies is mind-blowing to me. Guys, I don't think we get Guys, you realize that right now there are about 30 trillion cells in your body, and every three seconds, 50,000 of them die off and are replaced by 50,000 new ones. Every three seconds. Like, your body is doing things you have no clue. I mean, you don't even tell yourself to breathe, do you? Can you imagine that existence? Inhale. Exhale. Inhale, exhale, and you're like, I could do that, really? Because then you got to tell your heart to beat. Inhale, oh, inhale, exhale, heart beat, heart beat, inhale, exhale, heart beat, heart beat. What if you get confused? Exhale, exhale, exhale. <laughs> you, you, you forget to inhale, and you, but your heart's beating. Oh, brain work. But then you have to tell your hands to, like your hands to move, your arms to move. You got to tell yourself to blink. Your body just does this. But 30 trillion cells in your body, and each of those cells have a DNA strand of about six feet long of your DNA. That DNA is God's blueprint. It's like his computer code of what you would be like. Guys, do you realize when the Bible says, hey, you are fearfully and wonderfully made? If we took the DNA out of my body, each strand, and tied it end to end, that's enough, that's enough DNA to go from here to the moon and back 187,000 times. And so when the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, you are. Like God has just created you so well. And yet we have this thing that's been passed down 
from Adam all the way down to us called sin. And he says, and there's this hardness of heart before Christ. There's this hardness of heart or this callousness. Verse 19, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Guys, when I looked at that word for sensuality, it means unbridled lust or outrageous shamelessness. It's getting to the point where you don't care. If anyone sees the worst or most shameless thing that you could ever do, you will make sure that everyone sees it. That's what that word for, for sensuality means. He's like, well, who actually does that? Friends, social media's blanketed with it. Can I just do a real quick side note? Guys, I used to, I used to have the social media everyone does. And back in the day, I don't, I don't know if Instagram is still as good as it was back in the day. I hear, I hear Facebook's becoming less and less um, popular. But I know TikTok's up there. And guys, I'm not going to be one of those grandpas, like old grandpas that just hates all of technology. But I know what my heart was like. Anywhere I go to preach, I would take a picture from the back, not from the front because I didn't want else to see that, but from the back, and I would do it at an angle where it looked like there was like 30,000 kids there, and there was like 17. And I would say things like, oh, humbled to be here so that I could post it for the world to see. And I'd wait for everyone to start double-tapping the picture. And then I'd, if I got 100 likes, then I'm validated as a human. But if I didn't, oh, I'm not doing it right. And then I got convicted. I was spending time with the Lord, and it was, it was, it was, toward the, it was like the end of Romans chapter 2. And this was years ago. And it says something like where God, <laughs> and Paul says, and God will give you his praises. And then this thought popped in my head. Stop using my people for your quick fix of pleasure. And I went, oh. And so I ran in to tell my wife, oh, man, I think, I think God just convicted me on this, and I got to give this up. And then I just ran back and deleted it. And then I kept Facebook because, you know, I got to make sure I can connect with people because for some reason I don't think that my phone works. Like, I can't really call anybody. So I got to make sure. And have you ever noticed that, you ever had anyone get mad at you <laughs> where they, they post something about their life? Like they're going through a difficult time, but you never saw it. Then all of a sudden they look and say, didn't you see I posted it? I'm sorry, I didn't see it. How could you not? I don't know, because I have a life. Like I, I, I want to do more than just live my life on this screen. Guys, can we be honest? Aren't we a little addicted to this? You ever felt your pocket vibrate, but your phone's not there? Right? Like it's, it's not, you're not, which is weird, like it's not with you. But it's like across, like on the table, and all of a sudden it goes, like, oh my gosh, I don't have it. And we need the double taps, we need the likes, we need people to post, and we need people to keep doing this. Why? Because it feeds our ego. Guys, it's addictive. Guys, can it be used for Jesus? Absolutely, but I think a lot of times it's not. And how many of you, you compare your, your real life to the fake life that's posted? Wishing that you could have a life like that one. And all the while, that person is posting things that has nothing to do with reality. And so you just go into this spiral, this downward spiral of actually thinking, I'm not as good as they are. And God is sitting there going, if you could hear me scream to you, for you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Friends, there's things on there that go on there. I just sit there and go, do you, I mean, it's like, 
the things that people used to do in secret is now being publicized for everyone so that you can get enough subscribers so you can make some change. Guys, I feel like this is it. This is being lived out very, very well today. This sensuality, just making sure everyone can see all this outrageous shamelessness. And then that word for greedy, it's this irresistible desire to have what we have no right to possess. And it's like, I'll, I'll take, it's, this is what the word means. It's like, I'll take advantage of anyone that I need to in order to get what I want. I mean, does this really happen? Of course it does. Guys, do you realize that there are, there are students or kids your age that are being sold into sex trafficking so that some people can fulfill their greed and they can fill up their greed and and we, sometimes we just kind of look over it. That, guys, that should be something that we hate. It should anger us. Guys, people will use, and maybe in this room someone's guilty, you will use someone else to get anything that you desire, even if it's not yours to possess. Guys, this is what Paul is saying. This is what it's like without Jesus. Greedy, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So where did it all start? Take your Bibles and go to the beginning of the book, or begin the begin the Bible, Genesis chapter three. In chapter one and two of Genesis, it's pretty much just God's description of how things were created. Chapter one is just kind of like this big, huge pull back. You see the whole picture, and then chapter two is kind of like this getting in close and seeing the intricate details. Guys, do you realize that everything was great for about two chapters? It took us three chapters to break the whole thing. I mean, to jack the whole thing up. And isn't it weird? Like, well, look at the fact we broke it. It's like, well, I wouldn't have. Of course we would have. But we look at it and say, it's all jacked up and we're, li and we're living in a broken world. Then we blame God because we're living in a broken world and yet he gave freedom that they could make decisions or that we can make decisions. But then we're mad at him when we make bad decisions. Because he should have stopped me from making that bad decisions. But I want the freedom to make a choice and so therefore it's God. God, it's your fault. Don't we live that rat race? Guys, you know how good everything was? In Genesis chapter 1 verse, uh, I think it's verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And in the Hebrew, that word means very good, merry, pleasant, desirable, in order, usable, efficient, friendly, kind, morally excellent, happy, and right. Like when God pulled back, he's like, it's perfect. And then here it comes in chapter 3. Now the serpent was crafty, was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say... Now stop there for just a second. Guys, the enemy comes up, the devil comes up to you and asks, hey, did God really say? And then lists something, something that's in the Bible. Did God really say? Would you be able to answer that question? Because in order for us to answer that question, we actually have to know what it is that God said. Guys, I'm convinced, and this isn't students, this is like this, this time period especially here in the States, we have more resources to be in the word that we could ever, that we could ever think of. And you say, well, I don't like to read. You can listen to it. I don't like to listen. I don't want it to tell you. 
But I'm convinced that, this is, that we are, this, this time period is the most biblically illiterate culture in the history of the church. And we have more resources than ever. So when the enemy comes and says, did God actually say, we don't really know how to answer because we don't know the book. We want this experience where God speaks personally to us. The only problem is, unless we know the word, how do you decipher the voices that are coming to you? Like, how do you know what God's like and what he's not like? And so when the enemy comes and says, did God actually say, and then continue, you shall, need, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And it's just like the enemy to make sure that he takes away joy. I mean, did God actually say you can't have anything here? Nothing. You just have to sit here and stare. Guys, it's weird how God gets the bad rap. Like, think about it. The, the idea of joy. Where did it come from? We didn't make it up. Or happy. Or humor. We didn't make it up. Do you realize who created humor? God. Who created joy? God. Who created laughter? God. Guys, you ever laughed so hard that you felt like your stomach's going to explode? And it's like you, it hurts. It's like, oh, stop, stop. But you want it to keep going? Like it's the best core workout you've ever had in your life. Right? And have you ever been in mixed company? Like ladies, have you ever been in mixed company? Like guys and girls are hanging out together. And ladies, if you ever say, okay, wait, wait, stop, stop. If you, okay, if you don't stop, I'm going to pee my pants. Every guy there is inwardly thinking, challenge accepted. Like from that moment on, their only goal is to make you pee your pants. Gentlemen, if I'm, if I'm telling the truth, just say amen. There you go. Ladies, you've been warned. If all of a sudden you leak in your pants, that's your fault. That's your fault. But isn't it just fun to laugh? Some of you guys have a laugh that just makes angels descend because they want to listen. It's amazing. You ever heard like a, <laughs> you ever heard like a little one-year-old? Even people post them on YouTube. You watch a little one-year-old laugh at like a cup. They just lose it. But it's just like this heartfelt, I can't stop laughing, and I don't care if anyone's watching. And then you see the depravity of man. The depravity of humanity as you, as you start to scroll through comments. And as this kid is just enjoying life, and having joy-filled experience, someone will say, what an ugly baby. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you have no soul. So there's people that have this laugh that just makes people want to keep listening to it. And, and then there's those other ones that don't have that laugh. That when they laugh, people are going, um, I don't know what to do with that. Do we need an exorcism? Like, do we need a demon to come out? Like, what is that? Guys, we don't need laughter, but God gave it to us. And what the enemy wants you to think is, did God actually say you can't have any fun? Isn't that how it is? I can't be a Christian because there's no fun in it. I'm sitting there going, are you kidding me? We get to hang with the God who created humor and laughter and fun. Instead of trying to make it up on our own, only to jump into sin, which the ultimate end of sin is death. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees. I'm sorry, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, the thing is, God never said, don't touch it. But I would have put that rule on. Like, if you eat of this, you're going to die. And I'm like, I don't even know what die means, but that sounds really bad. So don't even touch it. Leave it alone. 
They say, well, God said that, but he didn't really say that. And friends, we need to be careful. Guys, if you ever say something like, hey, God has said that, you better make sure that it is God that said it. If he didn't, then you are, you are misrepresenting God. Keep going. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Guys, what's the temptation there that he's giving to, giving to Eve? Say it real quick. What's your, what's your name? Aiden? And what do you think it is? Yeah. Yeah, the temptation is, you, hey, you, if you do this, you could be like God. But you know the other thing he's doing? He's doing this. Hey, God's holding out on you. You're not going to die. Because God knows. Um, let me tell you the truth. God knows that if, if you eat of it, you'll be like him. It's like a lie from the beginning. It's, it's making them question the character, the goodness of God. And try to take, that away, take away God's goodness and hey, make him out to be a liar like he's keeping you away from joy. I'm going to tell you the truth. He's not doing it. Let me tell you what's really going on. And you could be like him knowing good and evil. Guys, i got to be honest. I'm tired of knowing good and evil. I liked being five. I loved being five. My one job was to play. That was it. Just play. I didn't know there was good or bad. It's just like, this. this just play. Play. We're going to follow the leader because we didn't know what else to do. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're just going to, we're going to play. Watch what happens next. So when the woman saw that the tree was, here's justification number one, good for food. Here's the second one, that it was a delight to the eyes. And friends, when you look back at chapter 2, verse 9, it's actually stated there. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. Like, it's true. And then there was one last step. Here's justification number three. That the tree was to be desired to make one wise, and that word desired means to covet, strongly desire. It's that word of greedy that we actually looked at, hey, to possess something that I have no right to possess. That's the justification that changed it all. If she had stopped, and said, hey, it, it does look good for food. It's a delight to the eyes. It's good for food. But then she needs to stop and go, no, 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 but we're not going to do this. But that's, it's that last one that came from the temptation. And it will make me wise. Guys, it says that she then took, took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Guys, for the longest time, I thought that it was Eve by herself, and then Adam is over in a hut by himself, hanging out, chilling. And then she goes and finds him and says, hey, here's the, this is what happened. I took from this, and you should try it, and this is what it's done. I, I always pictured it was separate, but it wasn't. He's just standing there. And some would say, oh, are you telling me, like, you actually believe in a book that has the talking snake, like a talking serpent? Guys, think about it. I believe in a book that tells me that Jesus died on the cross and came back from the dead. I think that's crazier. I was, I, I, Adam, you're standing there with your wife. God told you to work the ground, but also keep creation. That word keep means to protect. The pinnacle of God's creation. You know what it is? It's the woman. The pinnacle, the top. And here's Adam. He's just standing there going, <laughs> it's a talking snake. And he never steps in. He never jumps into the conversation and stops it. He just stands there. 
So here she takes a bite, then she gives some to her husband, and he ate. Then verse 7, the most awkward realization in the history of the world. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. That's an awkward moment. Like before that, guys, this is, it's just you're free. Does anyone have to do your own laundry right now? Feel you? It's not fun, is it? Even though it's, I mean, really it is. It's just throw it into a machine and hit a button. It's the folding part. I'm like, I hate this part. But it's not like we're out there on, on a washboard, like washing our clothes. But it's like you just throw it in there, hit start, and you're like, oh, my gosh, that's so hard. But then as you get older and you've got to hit college, then you've got to have quarters. Or if not quarters, now you have, to, you, have to, you have to pay for it, and maybe it's on a card or something. But, guys, think about it. If this never happened, there would have been no laundry. I know. Like, I'm going to look at Adam and Eve and go, what the heck were you doing? Guys, can you imagine? They had no clue what naked was because it was just life. Just running around naked. They're like a bunch of two-year-olds who get out of their clothes and out of their diaper and just take off running. And then, they <laughs> think about it, they're just living. It's like, should we do it? Should we do it? <laughs> what the? And then they just freak out. And then look what they do to cover themselves. And they made, I'm sorry, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They, they looked at leaves and went, yes, that's what I need. We're going to make some, I don't know, let's call them loincloths. Let's call them clothes. Yeah, that's a good word, clothes. That'll catch. People will call that forever. And so they make, they make clothes out of leaves, and I just sit and go, how does that make any sense? Guys, leaves start to dry out. Guys, that's got to be pretty uncomfortable if it's your underwear. That's, okay, let's just leave it there. Okay, so, but that's what they do. You sit there and go, well, that's just so stupid. Why would you do that? And guys, I guess I have to ask the question. When we sin, don't we do the same thing? We cover our sin with all this other stuff thinking it's going to fix the problem. Guys, we're not, we're not sinners because we've sinned. We sin because we're sinners. Do you see the difference? It's not like I became a sinner right when I sinned. The Bible actually tells us that we're conceived into it. That we have no ability to get out of it. And it all started here. And so sin has been passed down from person to person, starting with Adam, down, down from Adam, all the way passed down to all of us. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the glorious standard of God. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that no one seeks after God, not one. So when we sit there and go, but I, I know Christ, like I found him. No, no, he found you. He wooed you. He called you. You surrendered to Christ because he invited you. No one seeks after him on our own. The Bible says that there is nothing good that we can do to make ourselves right with God. Because it's not just about actions, it's about who we are at the core of our being. Before Christ, we are sinful, we're sinners. That's our identity. And if the Bible says that, hey, all of my good works are like filthy rags compared to the holiness and perfection of God. Think about it, if I do the most purely motivated thing, and I'm standing before God, God's still going to sit there and go, it's like a filthy rag. Doesn't it sound impossible? And friends, sin isn't, I, oops, oops, I made a mistake, I didn't mean to. Sin is active rebellion against a holy God. 
It's us saying, I don't want your thing. I don't want you. And we stand against it. Guys, in other words, we're helpless. We're helpless. You're like, wow, camp is so great. What a fun, what a fun topic. Guys, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. There are parts of the Bible that are hard, and this is one of them. But friends, the gospel makes no sense if we don't talk about it. We don't deal with it. We have to deal with what does the Bible say. Because when we really grasp our sinfulness and we look at what it is that Jesus did for us, we realize that the grace of God is actually beyond us. It's so beyond our ability to comprehend it. You say, well, Brian, I've got a good heart. You don't know me. I don't know you. You're right. But no, you don't. I am. Dude, or, dude or do that. Turn to Mark chapter 7. Turn to Mark chapter 7. Here's what Jesus said about the, the human heart. Maybe some are sitting there going, why should I listen to Jesus? Because he pulled off Easter. I figure if a dude that can pull off Easter, like if he can predict his own death and his resurrection and pulls that thing off, that boy should be listened to. So I'm going to go with him every single time. But here's what Jesus says about the human heart. Growing up, did any of you have a, a mom or dad that would tell you, like on Valentine's Day, they'd say, especially when you're in elementary school, third grade, you're going to give Valentines to everyone. I didn't like that. Because then as you get a little bit older, like fourth or fifth, then all of a sudden people are like, I really like this person. Like, like, like. And then it's like, but you have to give Valentine's to everybody. And like, Mom, I don't want to do that. I don't want to give it to my friend Blake. Like, that's just not what I want to do. Like, we just want to go play football. And like, just don't make me give candy to everybody. It's like, this doesn't make any sense to me. But I did it. It's like, this is what we do when we say, hey, my Valentine's. So if I give my wife a card that says something like, I want to give you my heart. Here's my heart. Oh. Right? So here's, here's the heart. This is what I'm giving to her. So here in verse 21. For from with, for from with, I'm sorry, for from within, out of the heart of man, here it is, this is what I'm giving to my wife when I say, you have my heart. Come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, pride, foolishness. Oh, I'm sorry, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. From within me comes murder. From my heart. Let me give you my heart. Guys, that's what Jesus says. That's what the scriptures teach about our sin. Guys, I don't think we grasp how sinful we are before a holy God. But I do want to give you a little bit of hope. I mean, I want, this, I want the weight of sin to land on us. When you go back to Genesis chapter 3, if you look at verse 21, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says this, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. You're like, really? That's one of your favorite verses? Dude, there's a lot of better ones than that. That's just God looking at two people that were naked wearing leaves. And he makes them some skins of like, okay, but here's the thing. Garments of skin, you get skin from an animal by, what, by doing what to the animal? You have to kill the animal, right? So is this not the picture? In the same chapter that we broke it is the same chapter that says God's going to fix it. Like, what do you mean? Guys, look at it. You get the skin from an animal by killing it. That which is innocent had to die for those that were guilty. Blood 
from that which was innocent had to be shed so that God could take a, a skin from an animal, create a garment, and cover them. Are you starting to see that maybe in chapter 3 when we broke it is the first messianic prophecy of Jesus saying this is how we're going to fix it? Let me finish it. Ephesians chapter chapter 2. We'll start to land it. Ephesians chapter 2. Chapter 2 verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom, now catch it, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Guys, another word for passions of our flesh, part of that is feelings. Isn't it amazing how feelings have become foundational? This is how I feel, therefore, that's who I am. God is sitting there going, guys, you ever notice how Fickle feelings are. How one moment you could be best friends with someone and all of a sudden you just can't stand them. Like, no, we're really best friends and they do one thing, I can't stand them. Has anyone ever had a thought that wasn't very good and you're thankful that you did not follow through with it because you'd be in prison? And you can sit there and go, but no, 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 that's what I'm thinking, therefore that's who I am. And God's sitting there going, no, 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 that's not how it is. Because all of a sudden, if everyone lived that way, Whatever I think I do, whatever I feel like I want to do, that's what I do. If every single person did that, guys, it's anarchy around the world. Guys, I know that we live in a culture that's like, hey, you live your truth. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. But if my truth is, I can take advantage of you. However I want to, I can take all your money. You can't do a thing about it. I will do what I want. You can't stop me. You therefore can't say, well, no, I can stop you. You can't do that. Why? Because that's your truth, but it's not my truth. Guys, it breaks apart. When you hear people say, oh, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Guys, you know the problem with that statement? If you say there's no such thing as absolute truth, that is an absolute truth statement that you just stated. When you say, hey, there's no such thing as truth, you're like, but you just said there's no such thing as truth, which is a truth statement. So therefore, in that statement, you are telling me that you believe in truth. No, there's no such thing. It's like, do you not hear yourself? Guys, I'm thankful that God sets up boundaries. And he says, this is right and this is wrong. But when we understand that by nature, verse 3, who were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, what we were like before Jesus, we were children of wrath. We we, We were the object of God's wrath that he had to pour out. And then the first couple words of verse 4. Do you see it? If you have your Bible open, do you have it? Do you see it? Ephesians chapter 4. Tell me, somebody tell me the first couple words. But God, there it is. Ah. 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 Now, I'm not, I don't, I'll get into that tonight. I'm like, no, no, tell us the good news. No, I'm going to let you hang on that for a little bit. Guys, I don't deserve anything. I deserve God's punishment. I deserve God's wrath. I deserve hell. But God. Guys, that's mind-blowing to me. Guys, there's nothing good in and of myself that God should want me. And yet, that heart that Jesus said, the heart of man is filled with this. This is where all the evil comes from. And when I was 17 and I fully surrendered my life to Christ, it's like he took my heart and says, I'll take it. 
I'll take all of it. But friends, you've got to at least accept it. You are a sinner before a holy God and don't deserve any other good thing from him. The same thing with me. I don't deserve anything from him but God. Someone say, Brian, that's not fair. Fair ended in the garden. You don't want fair. You want grace. It is so different. I know it's a heavy topic, but can I pray for us as we go, as we get ready to go? Holy Spirit, part of your job is to convict us of sin. And Father, you draw us to Jesus. And so I pray that. God, I pray that you would do that. Holy Spirit, for those who are in the room that they don't, they've never surrendered to Jesus. They're not in right fellowship with you. They're not in right standing before you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would cause this topic and the reality of their sin to weigh on them and to almost break them so that they would turn to Jesus for grace. And God, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, Holy Spirit, I pray you would convict us of sin, that just because I'm a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that I don't still fight against sin. That temptation is real. And how much of our lives, God, is spent in secret or in the dark places that no one can know because we're so ashamed. God, I pray that we would confess and be real about it and be honest about it and repent from those things. But God, make this be a time as hard as it is, and I get it, God, but make it weigh on us that we would feel it and remind us, Jesus, you took the weight of the sin of all of humanity. God, may that cause us to look to Jesus. So God, do a, continue the great work you're doing. God, I love you. Would you do a great thing? God, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone here agrees, say, amen. Love you more than you know.